Well, hello there, folks. This is Whistling Pete. Now, I may be somewhat of an old-timer, but I sure love to go down to Sean Grigsby's Cosmic Dragon for all my science fiction and fantasy needs. Yeah, it's Cosmic Dragon. This is Sean Grigsby. How's it going? What'd you think of that intro? I'm going to be uh, throwing stuff up here. Some new things at you. Like uh, Ninja Stars. Anyway, welcome to Cosmic Dragon. Today we are going to be talking to Haley Stone. She's written a lot of books. We'll get into that. There's Machinations. There's Make Me No Grave. The weird Western novel. It's a bunch of great stuff. I really enjoyed it. I, I read the Western one. And uh, we talk about all kinds of cool stuff. But before we jump into that, as I always do, I do want to let you know about my books. Again, my name is Sean Grigsby. How's it going? Uh, I wrote Smoke Eaters, which is about firefighters versus dragons in the future. The sequel to that is Ash Kickers. That comes out in July, July 9th in the U.S. Both of those are from Angry Robot Books. Now, also from Angry Robot is my standalone novel, Daughters of Forgotten Light. If you like kick-ass, strong women in your fiction, this is the book for you. Enough about me. Let's jump into our interview. Pretty tough, and I know I'd be like on the Wikipedia all the time, like, okay, is this actually a thing, or did I just make that up in fan fiction years ago? Wikipedia. Of course that's what they call it. Why didn't I? Yep. Yep. <laughs> that totally That's makes the Star sense. Wars version. <laughs> That's awesome. I noticed that. How long have you been doing Shoot. this? Because it seems like you just started it, Basically, right? I want to say, like, uh, my first interview was Jeanette Ong, who wrote uh, Under the Pendulum Sun with uh, Angry Robot. Right. And that, right. I want to say, was in October or September, October, somewhere around there of 2017. Okay, so you've been yeah, doing about it for a, a while year now. And a half, I want to say. So, but still, it, compared to like podcast uh, chronology, that's not very very long. But they say if you do at least fourteen episodes, you're, you're set. Most podcasts that, yeah. that don't go anywhere, they don't get past fourteen episodes. Um, and and think it's good to have a backlist, yeah. too, because when people do find your podcast. If they're anything like I am with podcasts, it's just like you want to listen to all yeah, of them. Yeah, I did that with writing excuses. And an, yeah, another same. one uh, I love listening to, but I just, there's so many episodes that I don't get around to them, is uh, Last Podcast on the Left. Uh, yeah, mm. uh, it, it's a true crime uh, podcast, but it's not okay. like the whole like in 1967. You know, it wasn't, it's not, it's right. all, it's, it's very funny. It, uh, the the dark stuff they talk about is offset by the fact that that they're funny. I mean, one guy is is a actually two of them are comedians, and one guy you've probably okay. seen in some stuff. He was in some movies, and uh, I forget his name. He, no, uh, yeah, no, I forget his name. <laughs> I thought about it. And I was like, last podcast, yeah, on the last, last on the, left? the last podcast on the left, kind of like the the movie, uh, the last last house on the left. Um, yeah, oh, yeah. gotcha. Um, I I really I highly recommend that. It, it's pretty popular. Um, and uh, I just recently got into true crime. Oh, really? Like I am loving it right now. So that sounds fantastic. Yeah, like it. They talk a lot about obviously serial killers, but they even uh, did a thing about uh, 
the guy who assassinated John Lennon. Uh, they, yeah, ah. they, they have a few podcasts on like the occult uh, and magic, chaos magic, and, and David Bowie and the occult, which was fascinating. I didn't what? know David Bowie was into the occult. They talked about, yeah, no. they talked about how David Bowie set up some kind of magical protection at the front door of his house to protect him from uh, Jimmy Page of Led, Ze- <laughs> Led Zeppelin. Because apparently what? Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin was into the occult as well. So they basically had a small uh, rock star wizard battle. Because <laughs> uh, I... That's amazing. I mean, somebody needs to do a short story about that or something. I was just thinking, like, my first thought was, oh my God, this needs to be a short story or a yes. novella. Well, hey... That somebody out there listening is going to do it if, if you or I don't. Uh, <laughs> but speaking of uh, writing, which is, I guess, why we're here talking about stuff, um, to let listeners know, we're here with Haley Nicole Stone. Uh, of course, she publishes under Haley Stone. Um, and that's, I guess, a good thing. If you ever wanted to like change up your name, you could just throw your middle name in there or just the middle initial. Yeah, what I initially thought that I was going to do was just use my initials straight off. So HN Stone, because I thought maybe I needed a gender neutral name since I was publishing sci-fi. Um, and my editor convinced me to just use my name because if we don't show, you know, female authors are publishing in sci-fi and successful in sci-fi, then nothing will change with regards to biases um, towards women authors. Hey, major salute to that editor then. Because that... I- yeah, that was April of uh, Del Rey. Oh, that's She's awesome. amazing. I mean, I can't talk for everybody, but I don't care. I don't understand the whole thing about like, oh, well, a woman wrote it. What the hell? <laughs> what year I is know, this? I know. It's, it's um, crazy. It's, I, I don't understand it either. So that's, uh, but no, that's great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad the editor uh pushed you to do that. I'm glad you're published under your real name. That's my whole thing is that I wanted my, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I'm not narcissistic, but, <laughs> but the most tame version of that, I want my name. I want my real name out there. I didn't want it to be like SR Grimsby or some weird, you know, thing like that. But right, uh, right. so your, your first published novel and correct me if I'm wrong was machinations or is it machinations? Yes. No, it is machinations, um, though I hear a lot of people pronouncing it machinations, and people do it so often that every now and then I just have to Google to make sure that I did pronounce it right, and I'm like, okay, no, yeah, I, it is machinations. I wasn't just like off my it's rocker one of those there. Na- or one of those words where it, make, it makes you second guess yourself, because I've always called it machinations, yeah. but yeah, it's right yeah. there on the line. Yeah. So that was uh, with Random House's Hydra imprint. Uh, is Hydra Correct. still around? So what I heard was that uh, Random House is shutting down all of their digital imprints, including Hydra, uh. um, because they weren't very successful. Um, and I know some of the reasons why for that. So it's not it didn't really come as a surprise. Right. And, you know, I guess. Thankfully, you moved on to another publisher, which we'll get to in a second. Um, and Machinations was the first book. And the second book in that series is called Counterpart. Um, while we're talking about it, can you give us an idea of uh, what this these books are about? Yeah. So the Machinations series is about 
a woman who is a clone, and when she wakes up, uh, it's premature, so all of her memories are not completely intact, and yet she's immediately assumed to be capable of taking over the leadership position of her predecessor, who was this resistance icon uh, against, uh, basically, machines. We're in a typical post-apocalyptic setting where the machines have risen up and overthrown humanity, and what remains are um, small factions of humans kind of hiding out in various locations in the world. And she is basically the face of the resistance, and that's why she decided to clone herself, but her clone sort of has to learn that over the course of the book. And it's complicated by the fact that the clone has feelings for these people that she feels she knows, a man she feels she loves. And some people respond to that well and are like, yeah, you're the same person. You have plenty of the same memories. And other people say, it doesn't matter. You're not the same person. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's uh, this strong emotional component to what is otherwise uh, straight sci-fi. You got killer machines. You've got advanced technology uh, and it all takes place in alaska oh cool (laughs) had had you lived in alaska at all or you just decided to put it there i just decided to put it there um it was kind of an uh ongoing gag that i have where i said if there was ever a zombie apocalypse we'd go to the north because the ice and the cold would slow down the zombies Um, and then when I went with machines, I was like, well, the machines have like hydraulic systems. And so the cold could start to like slow those down. So it kind of makes sense that if you were trying to hide from machines, you would go to isolated locations in the world that is, that are difficult for them to access, such as Alaska. I read a book called Robopocalypse and yes, so yes. And, and a, lot, a part of that was uh, in Alaska as well. So that kind of makes sense. It just makes sense. So what I'm hearing yeah, is, is yeah. that the Machinations books is basically a woman, John Connor, uh, who's been cloned. So you got the Terminator thing. Yeah. You got the clone thing. Um, and then your your third novel uh, is with Athon Books. And that is one I've actually read. And it's called Make Me No Grave. It's a weird West novel. Um I'm going to let you tell the people what it's about, and then we can kind of discuss, because I love this book. I loved it. Oh, thank you. So, Make Me No Grave is about a gentleman marshal who ends up capturing this uh, outlaw queen uh, in Kansas, and while he's trying to transport her to uh, the jail to kind of face justice and all of that, Um, they're set upon by a lynch mob. One thing leads to another. He defends her because he's very much by the book, uh, rule follower, that sort of person, an honorable man. And, uh, he ends up saving her and she ends up saving him back, uh, through some, uh, magic. And, uh, so it's kind of a story about two people on opposing alignments being forced to work together think 310 to Yuma if uh, if Dan Evans was uh, transporting like someone like Rogue from the X-Men is uh, the best way that's I can describe it. That's a pretty good uh, description. <laughs> yeah, that's totally a <laughs> good description. Um, 
because obviously this is a western, but it's not your typical western uh, because, as the the uh, cover says, it's a weird west novel because uh, yes. she has powers, and I don't want to give you know any spoilers away. Um, but and I think I've I heard you either on another podcast or another interview talking about I think it was Hank Garner's uh, podcast mm-hmm. about how. Uh, it, it's not like, you know, a, a total, you know, I can shoot lasers out of my fingers kind of, you know, total destruction or total like it's right. it's, it's very it's 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 powerful. You know, it's 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 it is magic, but it's very toned down and very. Uh, very yeah, very subtle. subtle. That's a good way to, to put it. Yeah. And I I did like how Apostle. Though he did have to do a few things that could be considered bad <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah no he does things that are not not uh straight white right. hat That's but he feels sure. bad about it but i never felt yes. like he changed as a person i don't think he ever like part of me just because that's the type of writer i am and i like making people just say fuck it and you know do what they have to do but he he, he still yeah. had i never felt like he ever changed who he was um or his core beliefs uh I mean, maybe he, he kind of lightened up on his view of uh, Almina. But yeah. other than that, like he he's he, he he was he's firm in his morals and stuff. And if anything, I think Almina changed a little bit. Oh, yeah. Almina changes a lot. Um, and really, the story is her story. Uh, we're getting it from Apostle's perspective. But she's the she's the character that really drives the story and the action, and she's really the character who changes the most. Um, Apostle does change some. Um, he he sees the world in a very black and white way in the beginning, and over the course of the novel, he kind of understands that there is more gray area to move. Um, Sometimes good people do bad things. Sometimes bad people do good things. It's it's that sort of thing. Right. And sorry, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I go back through and I edit stuff. But I was just looking at the cover and I was thinking, what what drew you to wanting to write a western? Did it just kind of because I know for me it just kind of popped in my head and wouldn't let me alone. That that's pretty much. Uh, That was pretty much my experience as well. Uh, I was actually working on a one-page creative writing assignment for my class back when I was in college. And Apostle's voice that came to me, and it was the setting was Western, and I kind of just went with it. Sometimes you just have to trust your gut, and the voice that comes to you, you just follow that voice. And... I did research because after that I was very interested in the setting and the more research I did, the more fascinated I became with it because it was different from what I, it was different from the image I held in my head of the old West. Um, From, you know, the few Westerns I had seen and that sort of thing. There's the Hollywood version and then there's the real version. And I was, way more fascinated by the real version and I tried to include a lot of the oddity and the absurdity that I found in my research in the book so often there are like little moments that there's for example there's a very small moment between a couple characters midway through the book 
where the streets have kind of been flooded with mud and there are planks across the street so you don't have to step in the mud all the to get a way to get across from like one storefront to right. the other. And they two men meet in the same plank and neither of them wants to give way. Neither of them wants to step into the mud to let the other pass. And then there kind of happens a brawl. And it's this like weird thing that I actually read something similar in a magazine about the old West. And I was just just like, this is hilarious. And it's so human. And that's what I wanted to inject into the book at every opportunity is the humanity of the old West. These were people just like us. So they have that pride and that um, strangeness to them. You know, sometimes they behave abominably for no reason. Um, You know, that's something I'm, I'm really kind of starting to learn about human nature. And I'm actually listening to a book called The Laws of Human Nature. But just in, in like the current political climate, is that? It, it, and someone was trying to get me to defend socialism at the firehouse the other day. I'm like, oh, great. Here we go. Oh, I bet that was a fun Well, I don't, you know, it's <laughs> like I try to live my life by pub rules in that let, let, we could talk yeah. about anything and everything except politics and religion. Because like my dad used to say, you could talk about those two subjects forever and never get anywhere. And so I was like, oh, great. Here we go. Okay, fine. But I was kind of in a saucy mood that day. So I said, all right, let's go. And the whole, the whole, his whole argument against all this stuff was, was just coming from a place of fairness. They want, well, that's where I was coming from too. It's like, I want, I want everybody to be treated equally and everybody to have an equal shot at stuff. But his thing was, I don't want them taking my stuff and giving it to other people. You know, so it's very much a sense of individuality of like, well, I want mine and I don't want to interact with anyone else, Um, which. But we're also so, so very social people. It's not realistic. And, yeah, we we need each other. Yeah, (laughs) we really do. Absolutely. Um, But I'm glad you brought up that up because you you kind of uh, showed that in in the book and also uh, the article you read is that all that was encapsulated in this little plank of wood across the mud. One person doesn't want to let the other, you know, no one's going to give. Yep. Doesn't want to give. So neither of them are going to get where they're trying to go. Well, and then there's that, there is that um, myth of the lone ranger with the West a lot of, Oh, the lone gunman and that sort of thing, which just wasn't reality most of the time. And I tried to show that as well, both with, Apostle immediately gets together some other lawmen, lawmen to help him out. And Almina relies on kind of the outsiders of society. Um, she has kind of her own small little network of people that she knows. And when either of them need help, like they go to the people that they know. They go to their friends. They don't just try to do it alone. Yeah. And that's one thing I'm, I'm kind of exploring in, in my uh, Space Western. Yeah, call, call yeah, of the void, the call right? Of the void, which I'm. Thank awesome. you. I'm trying to keep the spoilers to a minimum um, because the void is an actual character in the book. Uh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't gotten there yet. I'm like forty five thousand words in, and I'm 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 just I'm still. Uh, You're still finding your well, way. It. 
every, the thing that people talk about my books is that fast paced and you know I finished mm-hmm. it in two days and that's great I love that I love books where I could finish that but I was like you know what I'm gonna really slow things down I'm gonna build tension so much that when it finally pops then things you know uh, and then it's yeah. people jumping in their seats hopefully because it's a revenge fantasy um, and yeah, it's, right. and basically everything that Apostle Richardson was. <laughs> <laughs> the main character the, the main character it's it they, they the whole thing was they were they're coming from another planet and uh i haven't revealed this yet but they were a freedom fighter on this planet because they were experimented on this planet was basically a bunch of mad scientists that collect uh this this lost race called Salfirians and uh, experimented on them and that they do all kinds of weird things basically also the the void is a car that eats people and that's that's very very simplified version of, <laughs> of what it's really going to be. That sounds awesome, though. <laughs> so I remember you, you like initially mentioning that you were going to do a space western, and I'm just like sliding into your comments, like I heard that you're doing something western. Yeah, yeah and the and the uh, the horses in the book are actually more like lizards. I call them hipposabras because sabra is Greek for lizard, and hippos obviously great oh. for a horse so it's a horse lizard okay um and so uh, that's fun i immediately got that image in my head i'm like <laughs> yeah i'm here for this and uh yeah i'm having fun with it it's just i'm throwing all kinds of weird stuff in it but it but it's purely at its core it's a it's a western it's 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 and it, it, some stuff that you kind of talk about is you know people who are trying to be good they're trying to to and and, and the other character is a guy named marley smith who uh, ran with this gang um and he he gave that life up and then they find him and they want him to join back mm-hmm. up. So he's like, you know, I've had yep. this peaceful life. I, I it's kind of like Unforgiven. I love Unforgiven. It's one of my favorite Westerns. Okay. Um, and, and he's trying not to give back into violence. But so is his neighbor, uh, who Job and uh, Tilly. It's actually, which I'm going to get some uh, sensitivity readers for. But uh, the basic premise of who these people are is that they swap from one person, one seemingly a gender to another every month. And the only, yeah, so one's called Job and the other's Tilly, but the only way they can communicate with each other is through a diary to let each other know. And they have no memory. Like, it's not like they're sitting back in the mind and watching the other uh, they call each other right. others. My like so Job says my other is Tilly and Tilly says my other is Job. And they have no memory of uh, or anything. So the only way they know what happened while the other was uh oh, super- that reminds me of a story, but I can't think of who it was by. I wanna say it definitely makes me think of like Ursula K. Le Guin's work. That's what, yeah. Some of her work with gender. Yeah, and I'm kind of going for that, which I, I haven't read a lot of Le Guin, but that, that mm-hmm. keeps coming to my, my, my mind um, is that this feels like a Le Guin type story. So uh, I think Cameron Hurley also has a character in her. Um, God's I think War. it's in Mirror Empire. Oh, it's Mirror Who, Empire. No, I think it's Mirror Empire. That's, yeah, Mir- you know Mirror what? Empire that has. Um, some gender fluidity. Yes, uh, b- because they 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 can, uh, and I forget if it's conscious and they can they can choose or if it's unconscious. Um, but I, I remember that. Yeah, it's been a while since I, I read, read the it. First two, 
and <laughs> I talked to her some. We have an uh, Angry Robot Authors uh, Slack. And, uh, yeah, uh-huh. and, and the third one's coming out soon. Um, she just had to clean it up a little bit, I guess, and, and get everything right. Yeah, I'm, I'm reading uh, The Light Brigade right now, and it's just blowing me away. She's one of my favorite authors, so I'm not surprised, but it's still, she's definitely leveling up. Oh, yeah. I, I love Cameron Hurley's work. Um, and I've been compared to her. A, a daughter's was compared to Cameron. Um, and I, that was a high, high honor. Praise. Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, but let's get, we, we went way, way off on a tangent there, but, uh, let's talk about your journey as a writer, uh, because everybody gets published a different way. So did you first get an agent for machinations? Uh, And also how many books had you written before machinations? So, uh, before machinations, uh, I had, I'd written Mm, let's see, four books, three of them I had not finished. I had written them during NaNoWriMo, which is National Novel Writing mm-hmm. Month. Um, so about 50,000 words in a month. It, that's the premise of the like challenge. And so I'd like hit that 50,000 and be like, great, I'm done because this is garbage and I don't <laughs> want to write any more of it. Um, but then the fourth book that I did and the last time I actually won NaNo um, I had written I wrote the whole thing in a month ended up being like 72,000 words Um, it was a a young adult zombie novel oh wow and that was the first book I ever actually finished Machinations was the second book that I uh, finished and that was Mostly, I wanted to prove to myself that I could finish a book outside of the high-octane, challenge-driven um, atmosphere of National Law Variety Month. And uh, so, it took a couple of years, because while I finished it within about six months, uh, took time to edit it, I entered it into the Amazon Breakthrough competition I don't remember exactly what it's called now or if they even still have it. Uh, but a couple of years ago, they used to do this thing where you could in, uh, enter your unpublished novel and judges would judge it. And whoever won ended up getting a publishing deal with Amazon. And I got some good feedback from there where people liked it. So that was encouraging. But there were these long, long sections of time between edits where I would just give up. I would just say, "Mm, I learned stuff from this, but I don't know how to fix it. And then just go on my way. Um, But then I kept coming back to it. I kept coming back to it. And finally it was pitch wars that finally convinced me that, Hey, maybe I do have something here. And so that was, that was really what led me to eventually getting my agent though. I, uh, got my first agent through cold querying. It wasn't through Pitch Wars. Same here. I forget that we were both in Pitch Wars. I think we were in different yeah, years. Yeah, I think we were. I was going to say, we were like one year apart. We're, you were Michael Monet. Yeah, me and Mike. Uh, I can never remember how to pronounce his last name. <laughs> I would I, say Mammy. I'm probably totally butchering. Yours sounded more smooth. So I'm going to go with your, your pronunciation. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> but yeah, me and Mike and. Uh, 
lots of cool, lots of cool people. Yeah. Were you, so what year were you? Oh gosh. I want to say it's 2014. It was 2014. Okay, so you were the year before. I'm pretty sure. I got you. Yes. Yeah. Same yeah. here. I, I didn't really, I had interest, uh, but that was a completely different book that ha hasn't been published. Um, oh, I have a good story about uh, Pitch Wars. Oh, yeah? During the agent round, mm -hmm. I did not get a single agent request. What? I was I was part of the Zero Request Club. What? Um, and then about 14 days after Pitch Wars, through cold querying, I got my agent. So it just goes to show, like... Don't give up. Yeah. Sometimes the... Yeah, don't give up, and sometimes the competition... It's just a different um, environment for agents, right. and a diff they're just looking for something different. But there could be the agent out there for you. Right. Um, you just have because not all agents come to the pitch wars. You know, it's not like a oh, this is right. like the London Book Fair where all the you know, it's not like that. You, there's like tons that don't participate in pitch wars. Yeah, yeah. That's all. So you're still with uh, that same agent? No, I am not. Actually. Well, this is something uh, we can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because uh, uh, i parted ways with, <laughs> with my agent as well recently yeah it's it's very common is uh what i've learned i most of the authors i know are on either second or third agent and see i didn't i it, obviously I, I wanted everything to be great and, and not have to do that you know but yes. i'm learning yeah. that what you said was very very true uh that some you know it's just business it's just like well i, I want to take my career this way and you know yeah. maybe this is working out toward that maybe it's not so we just kind of have to figure it out hopefully i won't have to have a third agent <laughs> yeah i mean it's like with every agent you especially your first one because you are just excited that someone thinks that your novel is worth right. something um and you are just like well i hope they're my soulmate even though you really don't know them at all right. Um, and then it's, you, you just discover things as you go along. So, um, yeah, I mean, it happens, it happens a lot in the industry, which I think a lot of newer writers don't realize. Mm -hmm. Um, and there is that saying, uh, a bad agent is worse than no agent, which is definitely true. Right. Which some people disagree with my wife included. <laughs> I told her that one time. I said, you know, uh, the, the the advice is that a bad agent is is worse than no agent. She's like, I don't think that's true. Well, it is, I do. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not yeah. saying my previous I think agent. When was you bad. had a agent that you did not, you know, uh, gel with, then you, that changes your perspective quite right, a bit. Right. Yeah, and it's like with I I, I love my my previous agent. He, he he's a great guy and 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 believed in in my stuff. You know, it just things just don't work out sometimes or, or, or you know or you just want to go in a different direction it's, it's nothing personal it's just business and yep. you can still be friends and still have a drink at a con someday you know um don't burn any bridges unnecessarily <laughs> right cool so tell exactly can you tell us about your experience with uh, athon books because they're pretty new on the scene but they've got some awesome stuff coming out and i'm actually going to be interviewing a uh, Rhett bruno who runs it uh, here in about an hour and a half. So, so can you tell us uh, mm -hmm. how you came to be published with them and how your experience has been so far? Yeah. So I knew Rhett uh, from Hydra. We were both we both debuted uh, with Hydra within about a month of each other, 
and um, just kind of connected there and developed uh, a good friendship. Uh, and we both wrote sci-fi, so we had that uh, connection going as well. And so when uh, Rhett mentioned that he was uh, planning to start a independent publisher, I was very interested, especially since I hadn't had any bites on Make Me No Grave. And I asked him, I was like, uh, do you want to read it? Are you interested in something like this? It's, it's kind of weird. It's very niche. Niche. I never know how to pronounce that word. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> See, this is the problem when you read more than you encounter words you don't know initially and you just pronounce them however. <laughs> I think it's niche, uh, but I knew what you meant. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, yeah, and Rhett ended up loving it and he uh, shared it with his, um, an editor who's also with Athon and Steve, and Steve loved it as well. And so they really, really believed in the book. By this point, I was like, it's okay. <laughs> you know, because when you've been through the ringer with submission and all of that, and you're just so tired. So I was like, I mean, if you guys think that you could do something with it, great. Uh, and they just, they loved it, which reinvigorated me and helped me fall back in love with it because I did love the story and I did believe in it. But in the publishing industry really can mess with your yes. head can really start to twist your perspective on your own story even and you start to believe the lies that they're telling you um, I was just talking about this on Twitter the other day um, about how publishers will sometimes say oh we don't know how to, how to sell this and you immediately take that as oh because it's bad right which isn't true when, necessarily yeah 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 it's not necessarily true at all it's just Usually it means we haven't tried to sell this before or we tried to sell this years and years and years ago and one of them flopped. So we haven't bought any since. You know, and I won't name the publisher, but when I uh, when we had Smoke Eaters out on submission and Daughters was still out on submission as well, uh, an editor came back passing on Smoke Eaters by saying that he wasn't sure that people would be interested in reading about a 60-year-old protagonist. And that just confused the hell out of me. Yep. That didn't that's that's why you're passing. It's like I could take another reason. If you just some good old age. I guess that's like that's the worst thing you could have said. If you <laughs> Yeah. yeah <laughs> I appreciate yeah, yeah. the honesty, it's, it's I guess. It's not your writing, it's not your dialogue, it's not the plot, it's and yeah, it's ageism. Like, yeah. And that's what, I mean, diverse authors face that all the time with, oh, you know, yes. own voices. It's just ridiculous. Like, oh, well, because you have a person of color in the lead, we're not sure we can sell this. Well, that's garbage. Right. Like, straight up, that's garbage. And people even told um, me, they're like, I love that you chose to, to do an older protagonist. Because, you know, most yeah. people, I mean, that I, that's, that's the thing. Everybody's like, the young... You know, it's, that's just so cliche. I, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So, so yeah, Steve's gonna actually going to be on the uh, interview with Rhett, too. Um, so we're going to talk. We, we can, can. Haley, you're getting a bonus because we'll talk about Make Me No Grave mm -hmm. on that interview, too. So you get you'll you're basically oh, getting Steve, two episodes. He's always the best about that, too. He always has the nicest things to say about the yeah. book. 
You'll probably get some of that. <laughs> By the way, uh, one question I forgot to ask you is, uh, did you read any other Westerns uh, either after or before you wrote Make Me No Grave to kind of, because I read your book to, to kind of get a sense and kind of get myself into that, you know, Western mode. Well, that makes me incredibly happy <laughs> to hear. Uh, so I guess the short answer would be no. Um, the, I did, uh, read True Grit, but that was after I'd already written the story for the most part. Um, and I, <laughs> I basically was like, Ooh boy, people are going to ask me what Westerns influenced me. And I'm going to be like, well, I didn't actually read any Westerns and look really bad. Uh, but the truth is that I was largely inspired by, um, visual mediums. So, Red Dead Redemption, the original oh, game, yes. that is really what sparked my love for the Western. Um, that opening scene with John Marston, um, you implore me, like <laughs> the absurdity of it, and the like, but it still feels very realistic. Um, and that I love that. Um, and then I watched Deadwood and Hell on Wheels. Uh, both of those also helped me get some of the the lingo, I guess, the colloquialisms. I also did a lot of like research into books that had like collections of slang and what time periods it was used. Um, what's the last one? There was one other. I've watched Django oh. Unchained like 500 times in the last few months. Django Unchained is really good. And I'm, yeah, that's Django more Unchained. my, like, I, you know, I do more over the top type of stuff. So <laughs> that really, mm -hmm. what, what was the other one? Uh, the other one was not a traditional Western by any means, but it was Justified. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, okay, you told me about that too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Justified and uh, Timothy Oliphant's character, Raylan Givens, was a big uh, influence for Apostle. I loved uh, Raylan has this way of being very casual about, even in like very dangerous situations, it's very casual um, very southern, bless your heart manners, and uh, I loved that. So I incorporated some of that into my, one of my main characters. Can I tell you, uh, writing this western, uh, it, it's it feels the dialogue at least. It feels so much. It, it feels so easy. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it does. When you started to get the cadence and you start to understand like all of the colloquialisms and you can throw them in the dialogue starts. Right. To flow. I mean, Cause I live in Arkansas and uh, true. Oh yeah. So true yeah. Grit was based at, uh, in Fort Smith, which is like, I don't know what, two, three hours away from here. And oh, it's just so easy because it does. It's like, I don't like smoke eaters takes place in Ohio. Um, and I, I have to stop myself if I like writing things like, Hey y'all, we need, we ain't gonna, you know, I'm like, Oh, hold, stop, hold up, back up. Let me, yeah. let me northernize yeah. this a little bit more. But with this, it's like, Hey, I can say whatever the hell I want, you know, just right off the top of my head. Yep. So yeah, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got that because you talked and, about the bless your heart Southern thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I was, um, working on the, I was working on edits for it last year. And then I was also starting to begin working on the sequel and, I was uh, off with my boyfriend traveling and he told me this story and I asked him, I was like, oh, was he fun in you? And <laughs> just like that. And he looked at me like, he didn't know what the hell you're talking about. Funny me? And I was like, I'm sorry. 
I've just been in this book for too long, and I'm starting to think with Western slang. It changes <laughs> you. Whatever you're working on, it's like you become a part of it. I mean, I love that, but it will really freak people yeah. out yeah. <laughs> in your day-to-day. -day. Yep. Uh, Haley, we're going to wrap yeah. things up, but I always try to ask uh, guests on the podcast, uh, what's a piece of advice that you would like to impart to someone trying to get into publishing or something that you wish you knew when you were first getting in? Obviously, we talked about the agent thing, but anything else that comes to mind? Ooh, lots of things. Um, uh, okay, I would say there, trust your gut. That's a big one. Um, Publishing is very trend-oriented, and it ebbs and flows uh, what is popular, what is not. So you need to know at your core what the story you're trying to tell is. Because often you'll get feedback that doesn't actually mesh with what you're trying to do. For example, um, with Make Me No Grave, I did get feedback that made me think, oh, I really need to push this in one direction more than the other. Either I need to make this completely a Western or I need to make it way more fantasy. Mm -hmm. Just throw in, you know, everything. And that wasn't the story I was trying to tell, though. The story I was trying to tell was much more grounded in realism with that subtle magic of maybe this could have happened and the fact that the magic exists, but it is not the defining trait of these characters right. it influences their lives but it is not everything that they are and that i really struggled with because a lot of times i kept going back and forth of being like "Ooh, i really just need to change this and make it more marketable but then it would have compromised my vision for the story and what i wanted to tell so that is probably my advice is um kind of learning how to take a critique and understand when it's going to benefit the story that you're telling versus it just, it's not relevant. Right. Um, it might be a perfectly legitimate critique. Um, and you, you definitely want to take um, advice that is, is relevant. You know, if someone's telling you, if you're getting the same advice from multiple people, that's definitely something to mm -hmm. look at. Um, no need to be proud, you know, prideful about it, but that's a little bit different than people wanting the story to be something that it is oh, not. I, oh. I hate when people <laughs> do that. When you yeah. see certain reviews and it's like, I wish that this would have done that. It, it, it's like, well, this isn't the story that you, you go read something else. Exactly. I'm sorry. I mean, that happened with uh, machinations. A lot of the reviews for machinations, they thought it was going to be this really hard sci-fi mm -hmm. And there is a lot of uh, emotion in it. There's a lot of identity crisis and that sort of thing. And people, some people really didn't like that at all. Um, and they were hoping for a different book. And so they rated it a lot lower because it just wasn't the book they thought they were getting, which is kind of a marketing issue more than anything. Yeah. And I don't know. And maybe it's because I'm a writer myself. But if I don't like a book, I, I don't review it. I don't review it. Same. I just, <laughs> yeah. What is the point? Yeah. I, I, and yeah, 
I, I, I will maybe give it a like, you know, I don't really give books lower than three stars generally because three stars is like, I liked it. It was fine. Um, anything lower than that, I typically just don't star it at all. Um, just because it's, you know, it, it just wasn't the book for me. Unless there's something like clearly offensive or, you know, so, something in that nature that I feel like, oh, I need to warn other readers right. about this. Then I, I, you know, I just stay silent right. on it. Oh, man. Daughters uh, of Forgotten Light is, is, a, is a huge litmus test, I guess, for people who want to read me. Because... <laughs> That's actually on my to-read oh, okay. list. I'm really looking forward to it, especially since you said that people are comparing it to Cameron Hurley. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> bump that up a little Actually, bit one of the characters in the book is, uh, her name's Hurley Gurley, um, which may <laughs> have been, I can't say one way Was or the that other. Intentional? It may be a tip of the hat. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to say one way or the other. Uh, it, the character's nothing like Cameron. <laughs> I just, I just, I, it sounds like a good name, so I just kind of used it. Uh, but yeah, people are—they either absolutely love it; it's it's changed their life, and they were crying at the end, or or rude, like totally, like hell yes, or not. <laughs> and you can look at yep. the actual Amazon reviews; yep. there are no three star reviews. It is completely split. So, in a way, I'm yeah. kind of proud of that. Well, that to me, I feel like you did your job yeah. then. If it's completely split, then it's just a love it or hate it yeah. book. Um, that's why I'm like incredibly surprised at um, the reader reception for Make Me No Grave is pretty much positive across the board, yeah. which is just this little book that so many people, so many you know publishers were like, well, we don't know how to sell it. We don't know if there's an audience for it. It's finding its audience, and they seem to love it. So I'm and that's, beyond thrilled that's about that. That's what it's all about, you know. There, there's count. There are countless yeah. stories where the creator believed in their vision and went through all this like flack from the gatekeepers, quote unquote, yep. and then yeah. they found their audience and it just exploded. Um, so that brings me to my last question: Can we expect more from Apostle and Almina? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so I am I am working on a sequel. Um I originally envisioned the story as being a duology, so two mm -hmm. books. Um I did have a idea for a third one, but I'm kind of feeling like it would be better as a novella, so I might do that um instead, but we're definitely getting a sequel. Awesome. Um tie up some of the plot threads that uh, I introduced in the first book. Like the first book definitely stands alone. You can read that, be done perfectly happy. Um, the sequel is definitely going to be there for the people who want more and uh, going to dive a little deeper. Awesome. Do you have a title yet that you can share? Yes. Uh, the sequel title is Render Up the Ghost. Nice. Haley, it's been so awesome to have you on the show. You're more than welcome to come back. Just to let everybody know, uh, the three books we've been talking about are uh, Machinations, the sequel to that is Counterpart, and her most recent novel is Make Me No Grave, and a sequel is coming. So, Haley, thanks so much for being on Cosmic Dragon. Thanks for having me.